Hey, Realtors. If you're listening to this right now, it means you're serious about your business. Remember, if you need a little help implementing any of the strategies you hear on this podcast, go to boarddigital.com and book a time to talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Marketers Podcast. On today's episode, we host Jeff Woods, co-founder of The One Thing and host of one of the top podcasts in the world, The One Thing Podcast. Jeff works with Gary Keller, co-founder of Keller Williams Real Estate Brokerage, and Jay Papasan, world-renowned public speaker and corporate trainer, to build a training and brand based off of their number one Wall Street Journal best-selling book, The One Thing. The book has sold millions of copies worldwide and is generally known as one of the most influential business growth books of all time. Jeff's brand, The One Thing, empowers people to achieve extraordinary results through the smallest of actions. He has a worldwide following, he's been featured in entrepreneur.com, and he's on a mission to help people better invest their time and achieve extraordinary results. I'm Oliver Bohr, and this is The Real Marketers Podcast. Hi, Jeff. How are you, man? Amazing, Oliver. Yourself? I'm so good, man. I can't even tell you how pumped I am to have you on the show. Um, I read this book, The One Thing, as per the recommendation of a guest that I actually had on on the show a few weeks back. Um, And it was like, as soon as I read it, I was like, that was it. I was like a different person. And this is how I'm going about my business and my life. So um, in one minute or less, just for the audience, can you please explain the premise of the book and what it teaches just for the context of the entire podcast? The one thing is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. We're in the business of time. When you think about it, it's our most valuable resource. The problem is most people are spending their time. They're not investing it. They go through their day checking email, bouncing from meeting to meeting, saying yes, if somebody asks if they got a minute. The result is they look up at the end of the day knowing that they were busy, but questioning if they got anything done. That's spending their time. Everything we do is about helping people better invest their time. They actually expect that their seconds bring a return, personally and professionally. And they do this by having a relationship with their goals so they can achieve extraordinary results. It's, it's so, um, it's so interesting that that's the entire premise of the whole thing, because, um, I cannot tell you how many times I wake up in the morning, or at least I guess I should say before I read the book, I wake up in the morning, I don't stop moving. And then at the end of the day, it's like, wow, that was a busy day. And then I look back and it's like, okay, but where am I? Like what, where am I today as opposed to where I was yesterday? And, and oftentimes it's absolutely crazy, but I'm, I'm nowhere further, you know? And it's like that, e- even on a micro level makes a difference. But once you start doing it day after day after day on a macro level, that's huge. Mm-hmm. What you're describing, you know, a lot of people are busy, not realizing they're not being productive and they confuse busyness for actually doing business. Right. I wonder if you could do like a play on word there, like busy versus business, but. Um, so before we get into the actual book, um, can you please tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, as well as what's your connection to Gary Keller and this book, the one thing. Sure. So I am a family man with a business, not a businessman with a family. What I do is I change the way people view time. And my connection is Gary and Jay co-authored the one thing together. And when the book took off, it quickly became one of the highest rated business books of all time. They realized there was a company here. But there was a problem because Gary's one thing is being chairman and CEO of Keller Williams. It's the largest real estate company in the world. And Jay's one thing is writing books with Gary. 
they were missing somebody whose one thing was the one thing. Right. Now, how the heck did they find me? So I was in medical device sales at the time, which was an amazing job. I got to wake up every day. I put on scrubs. I ran through hospitals, sold a device that saved lives, tried to get my wife to call me McDreamy. She said no. And I was where a lot of your people are right now, Oliver, which is life was good, but I was lacking fulfillment. I knew I was destined for more, but I wasn't clear what that looked like. Two things happened that ultimately set me on a journey. The first is a colleague of mine had a stroke when he was 35. I was standing in the kitchen asking if what happened to my colleague had happened to me, what would happen to my family? It was very unsettling. Um, the next week, my company made a change to our commission structure and overnight I lost 40% of my income, which for any of you who have had a big pay cut or devastating job loss, it, it rocks your world. It was at that time, Oliver, that I heard the Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I remember asking, who are my five? I made the list. And when I looked at the names, I was like, oh my gosh, how lucky am I? These are amazing people. I love these guys. They're, they're amazing friends. I always wanted to be in my life. The aha moment was that I had five amazing friends. What I was lacking was five amazing mentors. Right. Five people who were already where I wanted to be, who could advise me on how to get there. That set me on a journey. I, I first started a podcast called The Mentee which I was the mentee and I was literally recording conversations with my mentors as I got into relationship with them. A few weeks after I launched that podcast, it was our national sales meeting. I walked into the ballroom and on every chair was a copy of that book that you held up, The One Thing. And then Jay Papazian, who co-authored The One Thing with Gary Keller, walked out on stage. And for the next hour, he blew my mind. I remember the whole time Oliver thinking, what could I possibly, how, could, how do I get him to be yeah. one of my five? What could I say to him to make him interest in me? What could I give him that would make it worth his time? When he came off stage, I cornered him. And that's how we connected. And, and that, it was that serendipitous moment where they were actually looking for somebody whose one thing would be the one thing. And I was looking for the opportunity to build a business that would make a massive impact in the world. Rest right. That's, that's, well, a couple of things. First off, um, being the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So um, that's a great quote. But what I think is so cool is that you're looking at him and you're thinking, um, how do I get him to be one of the people that not only that I work with, obviously as closely as you do right now, but you just want to associate yourself with him. Yeah. And then you go after it. And like, I'm sure in that head, my one thing is I have to meet this guy. Oh, right? yeah. And that was it. It's a meeting. You meet people all the time, every single day. And like that meeting changed your life. It's just yeah. that one thing, right? Change um, the trajectory of not only my life, but um, it will change my family tree for generations. A hundred, and that's what it's all about, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think another thing is, 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 I mean, it changed the life of a lot of other people as well because now you're exclusively working with people to to help them focus on their one thing. And it sort of creates this like in an instant. I mean, obviously people generally speaking can't expect like something as, as, as crazy as that to happen like in a moment, but like that's what does happen when you make good things happen, when you put good things out there. It's crazy that, 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 that like the effect that it has, eh? Mm, oh yeah. So um, in the book, Gary Keller expressed that he was wondering how he could take his brokerage, Gary, uh, sorry, Keller Williams to another level um, and that he wanted to break that ceiling and um, doing so that was his one thing. And he said that in order to do this, he would have to create this business mentorship book. 
Um, and since he did, uh, he sold millions of copies and the book was a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, but in terms of Keller Williams, how have things changed for Keller Williams since this book came out? Oh, you know, the, well, he had written multiple books prior. The, the book that really put KW on the map was The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And, and what happened was um, the behind the scenes story is that KW was growing, but he still wasn't getting the recognition that he thought that it could. And he, got, and he literally sat down with his leaders and said, challenged them to come up with a hundred ideas for what would make KW a dominant player in the industry. And he held it. He held his team accountable to generating a hundred ideas. They did. And then he made them narrow it down to one. Yeah. We could talk about living what you teach. If, eh? if we could only do one thing of these, what would it be? And they said, you need to write a book. That ended up becoming the millionaire real estate agent. It is considered the Bible <laughs> for, for real estate agents. And, and um, that's what put him on the map. And they wrote several books since then. But then Gary, you know, his purpose is to be a teacher. And when he said, you know, how do we make an even bigger impact? They said, we need to write a non-real estate book. And that was the one thing. So when it came out, uh, I don't think they realized it would become one of the highest rated business books of all time. But the reason for that is, is it's so simple. The truths are so simple and they've been documented to unleash extraordinary results in people's lives. A hundred percent. I, I, after I finished the book, I, I mean, I know it's like, I got you on a show. So obviously I'm going to say this, but like, it's not, that's not the case. Like as soon as I finished the book, I can't, went into the office that day and I thought, what's the one thing that I need to do right now? Like something that's been nagging me and I'm keep on focusing on a bunch of little things that like aren't really like, not only are they super time sensitive, but some of them are only time sensitive, but they're not important, whatever it was. And I thought about it and I found my one thing and I did that. And since then, it's like that one thing gave the agency a new direction. And I had actually stagnated until I thought of that. And as soon as I thought of that, it was like, like pedal to the metal, right? Oh yeah. Um, so it was funny also, you're talking about the, about the, the, the hundred, um, hundred ideas and then narrowing it down to one. So when I was in advertising school, they told us that to create a good ad, you need to create a hundred, they call thumbnails, a hundred little ads as crappy as you could think of as good as anything. And then they said, it's funny that always the one ad that shines to is either the first one that you write or the hundredth that you write, but you're not going to know which one it is until you've written all hundred. Um, but it's, it's, it really is. It's hundred percent true. And it's amazing. So I wanted to, so possibly my favorite visualization from the book um, was the analogy of dominoes and, and, and how it represents our ability to accomplish great things. Um, and the idea is basically that a domino can knock over another domino that's one and a half times its own size. Um, so how does this translate into our lives? Sure. When people hear the idea of the one thing, they immediately feel doubt because they think I have more than one thing. We all do. So you're in good company. And we are not here to submit to you that you only do one thing. The moral of the story is that extraordinary success is sequential, not simultaneous. A perfect example of this was Ouija Domino Productions. In 2009, they broke the world record for domino falls. They, I don't know about you, Oliver. How many, you ever line up dominoes? 100%. How many do you think you lined up like the most ever? It was a while ago. I kept, it was probably not more than like 30. I was, I was a lot younger. Right. And lining up 30 dominoes correctly spaced, like that, that takes work. Yeah. This group that broke the world record lined up almost 4.5 million. Stop it. That's not the impressive part. Imagine being the leader of that group 
walking up to the lead domino and effortlessly with the flick of a finger, unleashing more than 94,000 joules of energy, which to put that into context, that's as much energy as it would take any of us to drop and do 545 consecutive push-ups. Now let's stop and think that through. I mean, I, if you're listening to this, I want you to actually raise your right hand and go to flick a domino and on three, let's flick it together. One, two, three. Okay, how much effort did that just take? Negli negligible. Almost effortless. Yet that one action unleashed as much energy as it would take us to do 545 push-ups. And here's why. When you knock down one thing, and if it's the right thing, it unleashes a bit of a momentum that when it hits the next domino, it stands you back up to unleash it against the next one and the next one and the next one. And coming back to what you were talking about, a, uh, Lauren Whitehead published in the American Journal of Physics back in 1983 that a single two-inch domino did not just knock down one of equal size, but one that was 50% larger. So two knocks over three, three knocks over four and a half. Here's what's crazy. And this is in the book. This is this graph that you were talking about. By the 18th domino, that tiny two-inch domino, you would knock down the Leaning Tower of Pisa. By the 23rd domino, you'd knock down the Eiffel Tower. 31 dominoes in, you are 3,000 feet above Mount Everest, tallest peak in the world. And here's the crazy one. 57 dominoes in. I mean, dude, I could hold 57 dominoes in my arms. You could actually build a structure that would reach almost from the earth to the moon. If you graph this out, it's a hockey stick growth. It just looks like it's flat for a long time. And then all of a sudden, boom, and you, you have extraordinary results. Here's why this matters. The path to getting everything you want starts by getting one thing at a time. This means you have to think big, but go small and trust the dominoes will fall. You look at anybody who has achieved extraordinary success in their life, you will find they had a one thing, something that they did over and over and over and over and over, over time that led to extraordinary results. Writers write, painters paint. What you need to do is figure out what is your one thing. When I was trying to tell this over to somebody, by the way, I was, I, I was trying to tell my friend who, who I've got coming on the show, yeah, Jeff Woods, he has, this, he has this thing called the, the One Thing Podcast. Um, and I was trying to explain the analogy and I didn't have the book in front of me at the time. And I was like, basically, if you take a domino one and a half times, by the 23rd domino, you get to the Eiffel Tower. And he was like, 23? And I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. And I'm like going back, I was like, okay, maybe it's like a hundred. I, I don't remember the numbers, but it was like not a lot. And then I get back and I'm like, looking, I'm preparing for the show. And I was like, I gotta find that, gotta find that. And I opened it up and I was like, hot dog. <laughs> it's 23 dominoes and you're up to the Eiffel Tower. Like, that's crazy. I know, I know. And so, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna change the topic. So if you have another thing to say on this. It's like money. We understand the power of compound interest. And then for a while, it's not very much, but over time, it adds up to something massive. And it's the same thing in our lives. Um, the minority of what you do will generate the majority of your results. Most of us are really not clear on what our priorities are, those things that matter most. But once you can become clear on what really does matter most in terms of the activities you need to do over time, when you just whack away at it 
over time, I mean, it really does unleash something extraordinary. Yeah, like all, all it takes is a little bit of aim, right? Like once you, mm-hmm. you kind of have the, the, the vision in your head. But Okay, so the book says something that uh, I would imagine that some people could find quite controversial. Um, it says that multitasking is a lie. I'm sure you probably got this question a lot. So how would you respond to people who say that, that they can multitask? And not only can they multitask, but the ability to juggle multiple tasks at once are either the reason or they are paramount to their success. Um, we all can multitask. The lie is believing that it's a strength. The, the research actually shows that we waste 28% of our time when we multitask, which if you put that into the context of a normal work week, that means you waste 1.4 work days a week due to multitasking or flip it, you could actually get the same amount done in three and a half days if you did one thing at a time versus doing everything at the same time. It just, it's the idea of a switch cost. And I'll use a perfect example. Oliver, have you ever been in the middle of reading an email and then your phone rang? All the time. Yeah, so you picked up the phone, you had the conversation, you hung up, you asked yourself the question, what was I doing? Oh yeah, email. Here's the question. Did you go back to the exact word in the middle of the email and keep reading? No, I had to go back. What do you mean? I had to read the email again. Oh, See what I was up to. That's what we call a switch cost. Here's what's actually happening. You're doing one thing, in this case, checking email, and then the phone rings. Immediately, you have to switch and reorient yourself to the rules of that game. Who's calling me? What could they want? Do I want to talk to them right now? That all happens in the split of a second. You answer the call. You have the call. In this case, we're going to call it a distraction. You hang up the phone, go, what was I doing? Oh yeah, email. Switch back to your inbox and then you have to reorient yourself by rereading it. Now, sometimes this is not a long time. It seems insignificant when it's most harmful is when you're in the zone. When you're in a flow state, you're getting it done and you get pulled out because you don't just get to go back in. And this is how most people go through their days. And and folks, nobody woke up and said, hey, I'm going to be the type of person that's just I'm responsive to everything all the time, but they're, they're doing work and they hear their email notification. And so they stop and they go and check email and then they hear a text message and they check that. And then they get a notification from social media and they check that. Then somebody asks us, Hey, do you got a minute? They say, yeah. And in the middle of having the conversation, um, the email dings again, and they're looking at their email while also still having the conversation with the person. And then their phone rings. I mean, if you are not getting stressed out, even listening to me right now, holy crap. (laughs) Here's why. The, the, the more things that we try to do at the same time, the more loose ends that pile up, the less likely we are to ever go back and tie them up. Right. It builds stress. It builds anxiety. It undermines productivity versus the alternative, which is what we teach. If doing the most important thing is the most important thing, why do anything else in that moment? When you are really clear about what matters, what your priority is for that day, of all the things that are on your plate, what is the one that would make the biggest impact? When you can be that clear, can we give ourselves permission to acknowledge that now, when I'm in that time block, may not be the ideal time for me to check email? And let me just shut my inbox down, not minimize it, hard shutdown for. 15 minutes. When I'm in that time block to do my one thing, can I acknowledge that I really shouldn't even know 
if I got a text message or a phone call? Can I solely focus on the one thing that matters most in that moment? Then I earn the right to come up for air and say, do I have any emails? Do I have any texts that I need to respond to? Any phone calls I need to return? One thing at a time. So you're, you're, you're saying it so um, beautifully simply. Um, and, and Until I live it. <laughs> that's, I mean, listen, it's, it's 100%. You're literally living this life right now, right? So when I started reading the book, I got the one thing, right? So this guy who, who recommended the book, he went basically on this big group that I'm part of a bunch of advertising agency owners. And he said, I just read this book, The One Thing. I'm curious, what's your one thing? I was like, okay, yeah, let me read it. He recommended it. So I bought it. I'm seeing the one thing. What's, what does it say? The surprisingly simple truth. Um, essentially, the, 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 the slogan of the book is what's the one thing that you could do um, that by doing so, everything else would either become easier or unnecessary. And I was like, okay. So that's obviously not what they're talking about. They're obviously not talking about just doing one thing. So let me read this book. And then obviously, the whole, I'll understand the context of what they mean about the one thing. And the more I read the book, the more I realized that I did get it when I first read it, that it, it really is the one thing and it really is that simple. And there's not like there's a whole thing behind it. But what happened is the more I read the book, it gave different examples. And how about in this scenario when you were talking about like this and, and it just a bunch of evidence in different circumstances. And I was like, the more you read this, it's not like there's more context that's going to make it more complicated, but it's like, it's going to make sense if you read the book. That's what I thought was going to happen, but it's not. In fact, if anything, the simple concept I thought was so simple before I read the book, after I read it, I was like, I don't understand why isn't everybody doing this? Like everybody's so proud of the fact that they can do multiple things at one time. And now it's at the one that I'm so living it when I'm talking to somebody and they, and they look at their phone, the phone, even when someone's phone buzzes, cause I like, I said it on last week's episode, like I turned off notifications on my phone after I read this, I did so many things after I read this, but when I see somebody hasn't done this, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, can't we just have this? That's what we're doing right now. Did you want to have this conversation? It's, um, it's the reason we're in business, Oliver. Our mission is to help people better invest their time by having a relationship with their goals so they achieve extraordinary results. Our vision, what it looks like when we've actually realized the mission, how we know if we're successful is we wake up in a world where people and organizations invest their time and expect a return personally and professionally. Just like how with our money, you invested in the stock market, you had invested in real estate, you expect it to go up. If it goes down, you're not happy because you expect when you make an investment that your money grows into more. It's the same with our time. Yeah. But currently, it is not the cultural norm that we hold our time accountable to a return we will change that. It's, even though the biggest asset I think that somebody could sell is time, right? Everything's gotta be quick and quick and quick because people, there's never enough time, right? That's, so it, it's, it doesn't really make sense. It's sort of counterintuitive, but I wanted to read a poem from the, from the book. Mm. Um, it's a poem by J.B. Rittenhouse. I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about already. Okay, mm. so it goes like this. I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is just an employer. He gives you what you ask, but once you have set the wages, why you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. So 
besides for the fact that this is a beautiful poem written beautifully at a cursory glance it appears to say much more than what might be immediately digested so what is this poem trying to say and what can we take from it think big think big it's the greatest gift i've gotten being in business with gary is most people set goals based on what they think they can do. And what you can do is irrelevant because it's only based on your current knowledge, your current skill set, your current mindset. Those are all things that can change. And what that poem is saying, um, any wage I would have asked of life, life would have willingly paid. Had this person asked for more, life would have paid him more. Mm-hmm. It would have required that he take different actions. And the things that I've learned from Gary is, I love this. He was in a class and he asked him, what time management system are you using? Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, you know, digital calendar, paper planner. And they're like, and he's like, no, but what time management system are you using? And they kind of looked at him perplexed and he said, well, let me ask you a question. How much money did you make last year? And the person said, I made $100,000. He said, great. Then you're using a $100,000 time management system. If you made 50 grand, you use a $50,000 time management system. You made a million dollars, you made, you used a million dollar time management system. What Gary has laid out for us is the time management system of a billionaire mm-hmm. with a B. The activities or the amount of effort required is actually not materially different between somebody who has a, you know, a negative net worth versus somebody who's a net worth millionaire. The focus in the activities, highly different. The purpose of that is to say, we all have the ultimate equalizer 24 hours in the day. Yeah. Yet a lot of people are spending it and the vital few invest it. I think it's, it's, he's, he's also, he's talking about um, like somebody who thinks big mm-hmm. time is worth something, but somebody who doesn't like time costs a certain amount. Right. So like, what do you do? It's like, this is the program that I'm paying for. It's like, I don't, I don't want to know that. What is your time worth to you? Like, what is it objectively worth? Okay. Um, so the book discusses the difference between an entrepreneurial approach to life and a, and a purposeful, purposeful one. So I really love this part. So essentially the idea is that an entrepreneurial, an entrepreneurial approach is to do what comes naturally versus a pur- purposeful approach, which focuses on doing something that comes unnaturally. Mm-hmm. So I know myself and I know my circles and I know that a lot of the time entrepreneurs, what they'll do is they'll start something and then they'll go to the next thing and they'll go to the next thing. And then in their head, it's like, oh, this is the life of an entrepreneur right? Like, oh, I've, I've got to find my thing. I know obviously no one's going to respect me until I become a billionaire, but like, it's going to happen. But like, I got to keep on moving around. So I want to ask, at a glance, this seems counterintuitive. So could you please explain what is meant by this, the two different approaches, and why it's better to focus your energy on something that might come unnatural over something that does come natural? Sure. Entrepreneurial is what, when you rely on your natural abilities, when you look at a task, like you, 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 people think like, oh, let me wake up. Let me take lots of action. Let me work hard. Let me get this done. That's entrepreneurial because you hit a ceiling of achievement. That's asking what's the best that I can do. And Gary said, the best you can do is irrelevant. 
there are people that have gone before us and it would behoove us to look at who's gone before us and look at the people that have done it the absolute best and start where they finished. So you're standing on the shoulders of giants. A purposeful approach is shifting from asking what's the best that I can do to asking what's the best that can be done. Anytime you're hitting up against a ceiling of achievement, you need to move from E to P. You need to do research and ask what is the best that could be done? the absolute best approach, and you build a model and a system around that approach, and all of a sudden you shatter that ceiling of achievement, and you just, it just gets raised to a new level. So let me give you a perfect example. Let's talk about podcasts. Mm -hmm. Most people, by the way, myself included, when we started our podcast, we just started booking interviews with people. Mm -hmm. And we sat down and we thought, what questions might I wanna ask this person? And we recorded it and we put it out in the world. And we said, well, how am I going to grow the show? And, oh, I'm going to put it on social media. I'm going to try to get interviewed on other shows. I'm going to get people on emails. I'm going to email them. Like, You're making me nervous. This is what I do. <laughs> it's entrepreneurial. You relied on your natural ability. You did what came naturally. And there's nothing wrong with that. It got you started. The opportunity is to acknowledge that that has a ceiling of achievement. Uh-huh. The purposeful approach is to realize that you're not the first person to start a podcast. So who are the top podcasters in the world? What are the models for their show? You benchmark and research what's the best that can be done. And you ask the question, how can I leverage that model? And then you just start executing that model. And all of a sudden, you start achieving infinitely more. That's moving from E to P. Right. Makes sense. It's, it's, uh, so it is a hundred percent. It is, it is, I'm just explaining, like talking about that E it is totally entrepreneurial. Cause like, like, I mean, like I said in the question, it's like, that's what people do. That's what entrepreneurs do. It doesn't feel right. I'm going to go to the next thing. This doesn't feel right. I'm going to go to the next thing. And I think let me, what you're let me step in that, here. Let me step in here. Cause this matters. Every single one of us is entrepreneurial. The op that's because it's what comes naturally. The mm. opportunity is to recognize when you're hitting a ceiling of achievement, if it's an area that matters, get purposeful. In your marriage, instead of just crossing your fingers and hoping that things are going to get better, what books are you reading? What classes are you going to? There are really smart people that have figured out how to have long lasting, healthy, deep relationships. You're just going to cross your fingers and do the best you can, or are you going to go and look at the best that has been done? and start doing what they've already told you to do. Yeah. Makes sense. Sometimes it takes something that really means a lot to you to kind of ask the question, like when you brought it into marriage, I'm sure people right now are listening to this. It's like, well, obviously every marriage has had problems. Every marriage has had arguments, but like when it gets tough, that's when it's like, if it didn't come natural, then it's not, it's not obviously going to be a healthy or successful marriage. The way to make it successful is by going from E to P. If it matters to you, quit relying on your natural abilities be humble. Acknowledge that there are people that have achieved extraordinary results in that area before you. What can you learn from them so that you start where they finished? Love that. Love that. Um, the book discusses four thieves of productivity, um, mm -hmm. namely the inability to say no, mm -hmm. um, the fear of chaos, Mm -hmm. uh, poor health habits and when the environment doesn't support your growth. So I wanted to ask you on the, on the first one. Um, so 
it goes on to say, talking about the inability to say no, so it goes on to say that when you do say yes to say yes to something, it's imperative to understand what you're actually saying no to. Can you please explain what that means? Sure. I think, well, let me ask you, are you married, Oliver? I am. What's your wife's name? Ariella. Ariella. When you said yes to Ariella, by default, you said no to every other woman on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Most people, the reason we struggle to say no is because we're not clear what we should be saying yes to. Steve Jobs is actually a great example of this. When he came back as CEO of Apple from 1997 to 1999, he took the company from 350 active projects down to 10. He literally shut down 340 initiatives, let alone said no to all the other shiny new opportunities that popped up so that the entire company could narrow their focus to 10 things. Apple went on to become one of the most valuable companies in the world. The real world example of this is every day we wake up and we see all the stuff that's on our plate and we tell ourselves that we have to get it all done. And people just run through the day being really busy, taking lots of action, but quite often not on the things that matter most. Because the reality is, if you've ever gotten promoted in your career, you did not get promoted because you were the best email checker. You did not get promoted because you were the best meeting attender or because your, your meeting notes sparkled. You got promoted because there was a 20% of your job that drove 80% of the results and you did it really well. Be clear about what you are saying yes to. Be clear what matters. And when you have that clarity, suddenly saying no to everything else becomes easier. Yeah. Would you say that it's more important to know how to say no or yes? Aren't they the same thing? That's pretty deep. I think it is actually. Yeah. I think it's like, I mean, it, this paradigm now is if you're not saying no, then you are saying yes. And if you are saying yes, then you are saying, if you are saying yes, then you're not saying no. Right. There's no it's, middle ground. It's just clarity. Yeah. What's the priority and what's the distraction? That's great. There's, um, a, there, there's a, a piece of paper on Gary's desk. It's been there for over a decade. We turned it into a t-shirt because it was that good. It says, until my one thing is done, everything else is a distraction. I think this is in the back of the book also. Does it? It says, I'm, does it say in the back of the book? Or it's got like the, the wall hanger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the door hanger. In case I can't say no. Yeah, that's it. Have to do it for me or do I not describe what I'm doing. I'm working on my one thing. Yeah, it totally works. That's great. Um, so, so I want to go into now the second, the second thief of productivity, the fear of chaos. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of fear, like in terms of the fear of chaos being an enemy of productivity, wouldn't chaos be counterproductive to growth and therefore not a thief of productivity, but rather a friend to it? It's, it's, it's the lack of creativity or inability to deal with the chaos that's, that's what makes it a thief. Because people, when we say, hey, when you get clear on your one thing, time block it, schedule time with yourself to do it and go into a bunker, literally shut the world out. The reason the fear of chaos is the thief is because they think, well, I can't turn off my email. I can't 
put my phone on airplane mode. I can't say no to everybody around me. Look at all the stuff that's going to stack up. What if somebody needs me? What if a customer calls? It's all these what is everything else. And it's almost like a submarine. The deeper a submarine goes, the more pressure mounts around it. And we feel this, the deeper and deeper and deeper. We go into a time block to do our one thing. The more stuff just starts to build up around us. And we just want to come up and go, <gasps> Mm -hmm. And take a deep breath. But what you have to understand is that that undermines your productivity. It's the lack of creativity or inability to deal with the chaos that makes it the thief. If you want to achieve big things, sorry, you're going to have to focus on the few. And stuff's going to get messy. Stuff's going to pile up. Not everything's going to get done. And you have to make peace with that. If you want to achieve big things, otherwise lower your aim. So it's, it's, it's funny that you were mentioning, you were talking about swimming because I actually have a story that happened to me is that I went with my family to Dallas uh, about a year ago. Um, we went for a week and literally on the first day there, I go jumping into the pool with my daughter on my back and I forgot that I had my phone in my pocket. And so obviously everybody knew that I was going mm. away for a week. So I'd set everything up, but as is inevitable, my phone obviously was, 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 was totally kaput. Um, and I was in the US and I live in Canada, so I couldn't even really get a new phone. So for one week, I was without my phone. So first off, it was absolutely liberating. Um, but, but Tim Ferriss, actually, in his book, The Four, week, Four Hour Work Week, so he talks about how, um, how things always sort of have a way of figuring themselves out. And if you make yourself available to solve every problem, then every problem will come your way. Um, and so deal with the problems that are absolutely necessary for you to deal with, but otherwise people will figure it out. And I realized that that's what happened. And at the end of it, I got many texts that maybe possibly even sounded anxious. Like, what do I do here? But everything was fine. And everything was fine. And everything was moving on smoothly. And it's 100% what you're saying. And when you put it like that, it's, it's, it's the fear of chaos. Like, it's not, it's not like everything's got to be chaotic for you to be successful. It's like things will be chaotic. And you have to be okay. You can't just like, get distracted like a puppy right? Just every single time something goes wrong, you got to go fix every single problem. That, like you, things can be a little bit chaotic around you, but just trust the process. I think once you say it like that, it, it, it makes perfect sense, right? And it just reminds me of that time that I went to Dallas and everything did sort itself out. And, and, and I had a great vacation and I spent more time with my family than I would have if my phone was working. Amazing how that works. Yeah, it really is. Um, so Gary Keller refers to Bronnie Ware's book, The Top Five Regrets of Dying. And in the book, Bronnie asked, uh, people who were dying, what their biggest regrets are. Um, and the five most common answers that she had found was, um, number one, I'd wish I'd let myself be happier. Number two, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Um, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And the last one, which she said was the, uh, the most common one, was I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the, other, not the life that other people had expected of me. So people always say, like, for example, people always say that they wish they could go back in time. Um, to know the lottery, lottery numbers and therefore win the lottery. And yet you've got something like this and it seems like a lot more powerful because it's not just like go back and have money, but it's like the most existential truth to life. You're asking people who are at the end of the life, what do you wish differently given the fact that you have a vantage point of your entire life? And these people are literally sharing the most existential regrets. Why don't more people to listen to this? It's the concept of hyperbolic discounting. If I were to offer you $100 today or $200 tomorrow, what would you do? Is that rhetorical? No, serious. 
Um, well, I'd like to think I would pick $200 tomorrow. Okay. If I asked the masses, what do you think they would do? Um, I'm assuming because you're asking me the answer is 100, but that would be very surprising to me. No, they take the two. Yeah. Right. Now let's flip it. If I offered them $100 today or $200 a year from now, guaranteed. Yeah. Would they, they would probably do the 100. They take the 100. Even though you'd get a 100% ROI, which is better than any other investment vehicle I really know about, mm. people still would take the 100. Here's why I share this. When the payoff or pain is too far in the future, we discount it. We know what's good for us, but the pleasure in the moment outweighs the future repercussions. So when you take something as high level as regrets in your life, because we can't feel the pain right now, we just discount it. And we go through our days being busy, but not actually getting much done. We go through our relationships disconnected and avoiding the conversations that need to happen. And we neglect our bodies and wake up with real crisis on our hands. It's why the one thing was written. Gary read that book and said, I don't want to live a life of regret. Mm. The entire thing started out of how do we help people not live a life of regret? Bronnie Ware's book was the catalyst for the one thing. I know, I know that not living a life of regret mm -hmm. is the catalyst for the one thing. I know he's also read their book. Whether or not that was a catalyst, I can't speak to. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so what would be one final piece of advice that you would give to entrepreneurs and realtors that um, would really allow them to take their own businesses and productivity to another level? Think big, go small, trust the dominoes will fall. Here's what I mean by that. Think big. Cast a big vision for your life. Every year, and this is actually coming up, we facilitate a couple's goal-setting retreat. We have people flying from all over the globe. This year, we're doing it virtually. And because we're doing it virtually, we now have the chance to do one weekend specifically for couples and one weekend for individuals and teams. The thing that we do that challenges them is we don't say set your goals for the upcoming year. We ask them, what are your someday goals? like 20 years from now. Some people go out 50 years and actually cast a vision for your life. What do you want? That stops people dead in their tracks. Mm -hmm. But we actually give them the space to figure it out. So think big. Imagine what does an extraordinary life look like for me someday? And then go small. So small that you can identify that too much domino. Mm. If you just effortlessly flicked it with the thick of a finger, you could trust that the other dominoes would fall. Think big, go small, trust the dominoes will fall. Let's use a real estate agent, for example. What's an agent's one thing? Lead generation. Yeah. They all know it. They imagine this, this big, like I hear agents all the time, I wanna make $100,000. Okay, mm -hmm. cool, think big. Go small. 
They say, oh, I'm going to lead generate for three hours a day. Mm -mm. That's not small enough. That's an 18th domino. That's knocking over the leaning tower of Pisa. The leaning tower is in fact leaning. Yet if any one of us tried to push it down, we would ram our head against the wall day after day after day, wondering why it's not falling. And because it's still too big. Because we got to start smaller. And a lead domino could actually be, can I make one phone call before I check my email? You might think, Jeff. But if I just make one call, that's not going to build an extraordinary business. I'm not saying that knocking down one domino unleashes extraordinary results. I'm saying it's one thing that unleashes momentum that makes everything else possible. If you made one phone call before you checked your email, would you be more or less likely to make a second? More. And if you made a second phone call, would you be more or less likely to make a third? more. And if you did that every day, consistently, you would form the habit of lead generating, even if it was just one phone call. But here's what would happen. One phone call would turn into 10 minutes of lead gen, which would turn into 30 minutes of lead gen, which would turn into an hour of lead gen, which would turn into two hours of lead gen, which would turn into the top agents that I know. Three hours of lead gen, it would feel weird if they didn't do it, but they didn't make the standard three hours up front. They made it one thing they actually could do. That's why the focusing question of the book is what's the one thing I can do mm-hmm. such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. Well, what would be the alternative as opposed to can do? Should do. Feel like I should do it. Oh, oh I see. Guilty I see. if I don't do it. Yeah. We, we have this, this thought of what we should be able to do or what others are telling us to do. And we make that the mark of success. And when we come in under it, we feel like a failure. So we give up. Make it something you can do. Progress is far more important than perfection because perfection just gets in the way of what's possible. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So how can people get in touch with you or or gain access to the One Thing Training? Absolutely. So you're already listening to a podcast. So whatever player you're playing it on, click the search bar or the little search icon and type in the one thing, the O-N-E, T-H-I-N-G, three words, the one thing. And you'll find our podcast. Subscribe to that. We have a, a new episode that comes out every week. Our website is the one thing.com, but that's with the number one. Instead of being spelled out, it's the actual number. So the one thing.com. If you go on the training page, you can learn all about our trainings. Like I mentioned, we have our virtual goal setting retreat series coming up. Um, so we have one weekend dedicated for couples, one weekend dedicated for individuals and teams, and it's hands down one of the best things that we do, and it is coming up here in November. So I would highly recommend you guys go there. And the direct link is the one thing.com slash set my goals. Fantastic. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting you. My pleasure, Oliver. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real Marketers Podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Your success is my success, so I really want to see you grow please share this podcast to other realtors that you think would benefit from it. And if you want to take your business to another level, go to boarddigital.com and book a time to talk. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.